You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Tim Rice, and this is episode 54 of my podcast, Get Onto My Cloud. In previous podcasts, I have, not surprisingly perhaps, delved into the history of the show that launched Andrew Lloyd Webber and me into careers in musical theatre and associated enterprises. That show, of course, was Jesus Christ Superstar in 1970. We'd written a couple of shows before that, The Likes of Us, a stage musical based on the life of Victorian philanthropist Dr. Thomas Bernardo, and an oratorio for children, based on the Bible story of Joseph and his coat of many colours. However, our first commercially successful break was Superstar, which, out of desperation because no theatrical management wanted to go near it with a barge pole, we first inflicted it upon the world as an album, a double LP, two long-playing discs, those round black things, 12 inches in diameter, with a hole in the middle. It was also available in those days as a cassette or eight-track cartridge, but this was way before CDs, let alone streaming. Putting out the recording of a show before the show existed turned out to be a brilliant move, and we were hailed as marketing geniuses in addition to any compliments we might have received for the actual work. In fact, I think the theatre business was more impressed by our business acumen, of which we had at the time very little, than by our words and music. Superstar took off in America first, like a bullet, racing to the top of the American charts in early 1971, where we mixed with rock icons such as George Harrison, Janis Joplin, Santana, and uh, the Partridge family. A Broadway show was now inevitable, and one duly hit the stage at the Mark Hellinger Theatre in October 1971. It did okay, but nothing like as well as we might have expected following the stupendous record success. Nonetheless, ever since then, Superstar has continued to be performed literally countless times in almost literally every known country, city, town, or hamlet that possesses a theatrical stage, church, or school hall. For all this, we are profoundly grateful. Here is one of the most popular tracks, featuring all three principal singers, Yvonne Elliman, Murray Head, and Ian Gillan. Try not to get worried, try not to turn on to problems that upset you. Well, don't you know everything's all right? Yes, everything's fine. And we want you to sleep well tonight Let the world turn without you tonight If we try, we'll get by So forget all about us tonight Everything's alright, yes Everything's alright, yes Sleep and I shall soothe you Calm you and anoint you Therefore you're not out. Then you feel everything's alright 
To commemorate the 50th anniversary of the release of the original album in October 1970, a special box set has recently been issued. It was a year late in escaping thanks to Covid, hitting the stores, or rather the online delivery sites, not in October 2020, but in October 2021. It's quite a handsome package, though I say it myself, containing fresh interviews with many of the key members of the cast, such as Ian Gillan, Jesus, Murray Head, Judas, Yvonne Elliman, Mary Magdalene, Victor Brox, Caiaphas, and Mike Darbo, King Herod, plus photographs, articles of appreciation by longtime fans, and outtakes from the original sessions, which took place primarily in Olympic, probably the leading recording studio in the UK at the time, situated in probably the leading arrondissement in London, in my opinion anyway, Barnes. 1970 was a lovely hot summer in London, I recall. 
before global warming was invented. I was particularly delighted with the most generous articles written for the package by the distinguished British actor, comedian, musician and writer Matt Berry and the peerless producer, composer and recording artist Niall Rogers, who have waxed enthusiastically about the record that they first came across many moons ago. Sometimes, even today, I feel that Superstar never really checked all the street credibility boxes that others working in rock music seem to achieve effortlessly, but when artists such as Matt and Niall say what they say about it, I think we have a case to say ours was a significant rock record of its era. The new 51st anniversary box set also contains a CD of outtakes, curios and rarities. The problem is there are comparatively few of these, unlike in, say, the Beatles' superb box sets commemorating their great 60s albums, where you can enjoy 16 different takes of Get Back and embryo versions of subsequent classics recorded in George Harrison's front room. One of the reasons for our lack of outtakes is that we were attempting to keep costs down and didn't feel we could waste time trying things out in the studio to any great extent. Andrew and I usually turned up very efficiently at the right time with our working day planned, time-wise, track-wise and lunch break-wise. We were never stoned in the studio, or boringly never stoned out of it, because that was a state of mind we felt would not help our concentration, much as it seemed to help some of the performers. Nothing was written in the studio, although of course with the great Alan O'Duffy at the controls, we tried lots of experiments with sounds and technical tricks, inasmuch as these things were possible in 1970 on a strict budget. Incidentally, Alan is also one of the star interviewees in the new box set. We managed to assemble, however, a whole CD of outtakes and oddities. This includes just one unused number entitled What a Party. This was a song written to be the first scene after the overture and after Judas's introductory agonizing heaven on their minds. In What a Party, Jesus and the disciples gather for a celebration, not, but possibly anticipating, the Last Supper. The lead singer on this track was Tony Ashton, a well-known and highly respected blues and rock singer of the era, whose biggest success was Resurrection Shuffle with his band Ashton, Gardner and Dyke, a number three UK hit in 1971. We felt rather bad consigning Tony to the outtray, but the song we'd saddled him with simply wasn't strong enough. We eventually decided to cut straight from heaven on their minds to what's the buzz. Here is what a party, not to be confused with the Fats Domino classic of the same name, now available for the first time. Jesus, welcome to my house It's certainly quite a thrill for me You know that you're always welcome Here with us down at the knee Hello Peter, Andrew, Philip James and James and Jude and John Barter, Matthew, Judas, Simon I'm glad, so glad that you came along
take your places, everyone now Don't hesitate, the dinner's fine Hello Thomas, you don't need to doubt the quality of the wine Other strange outtakes include rather too much of me doing scat vocal guide treatments, allegedly to help the eventual singers, with Elvis and Bob Dylan-influenced vocals not necessarily doing so. There are also two open-ended interviews with me and Andrew in this package, which were sent out to radio stations all across America when it became apparent to MCA Records that they had a big hit on their hands. Radio stations were sent a scripted list of questions which their local jock could recite to be followed by our pre-recorded answers. Bearing in mind we were an unknown quantity, some of the questions were very basic, asking us our ages, how long we've been together, etc. So by taking the interviewer's role, you too can question the 25-year-old me and the 21-year-old Andrew. I just hoped at the time that the interviewers followed the script, as we were unable to divert from it. My first pre-recorded answer is, quote, it's nice to be on it, unquote which could be the answer to any number of loaded or wildly irrelevant questions. The box set contains photographs, mainly of Andrew and me writing in his flat in Gledhoe Gardens, but also quite a few of us with MCA bigwigs once the album had taken off in the States. We are seen being presented with our first gold record, which was actually a Brenda Lee Award, as Superstar had sold so quickly that MCA hadn't had time to press our gold records, but needed a photograph of us getting one pronto. One of my principal reasons for being glad that MCA was our label was that Brenda Lee was our stablemate, although we never met the great lady. We did, however, meet Neil Diamond, and we got as many free Brenda Lee records as we wanted. We wondered, while recording the album, if there were any songs that could be chart hits, the original single by Murray of the title song having done quite well in several territories. The obvious candidate was I Don't Know How to Love Him. We wondered if it would work for a male singer, which, of course, back in those days, meant a lyrical change. We had a go with it one night in the studio with Murray. One, two, three, four. I don't know how to love her What to do, how to Really changed in these. 
Murray Head singing beautifully, but the song doesn't work as I don't know how to love her, so he kind of gave up at half time. We did get one or two official recordings of the song that way round, so to speak, by some fine US singers, such as one version released by Jerry Vale, but it seemed an awkward fit, even back then. It's extraordinary for me to think that over half a century has gone by since Andrew and I first ventured into Olympic Studios. I thought at the time that what we were doing sounded very good but almost certainly would not prove particularly commercial. But perhaps it would attract enough attention for us to be commissioned to do something else that would open West End and Broadway doors to us. So it was quite surprising when the album blasted those doors off their hinges. Because of the release of this deluxe 50th anniversary edition, albeit a year late, I've actually sat down and listened to the entire album again for the first time in ages. Immodestly, I think it holds up very well and it's easier to understand now why it's lasted than it was for me to understand its appeal at the time. The music is, of course, top-notch, but even Andrew's brilliant score would not have made such an impact without a story that so many around the world, from a Christian-based culture or not, have been affected by, whether believers, non-believers, or simply indifferent. It taught me, as I've kept banging on about ever since, that story is king more important than either music or lyrics. The best score in the world cannot thrive as it should with a weak tale to tell. In late 1969, when we recorded the one-song Superstar with my even-then-old pal Murray Head for a trial single before we were given the go-ahead for the entire album, we needed a B-side, which is included, of course, in the deluxe edition. 
It's the Gethsemane tune reprised instrumentally as John 1941, not a reference to Pearl Harbor, as some thought in America, but to the chapter and verse of the fourth gospel. It features a brilliantly manic piano solo by Mick Weaver, a.k.a. Winder K. Frog. Here's John 1941. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulchre, wherein was never man yet laid. episode 54 of my podcast, Get Onto My Cloud, written and presented by me, Tim Rice, and produced immaculately and religiously by Peter Hobbs. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.